Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to talk about truth and specifically what we say, Titan Emes Le Yaakov. To Yaakov, to Jacob, our forefather, belongs truth. Um, this is especially challenging if you look at his life story as it's recorded in the Torah because it seems like there's so, many, there's so much subterfuge, so much uh, misdirection in terms of his life. He's, he's on the receiving end of, of subterfuge. He, he thinks he's marrying um, Rachel, who he worked seven years for, and all of a sudden he wakes up the next morning and he's with Leah. Um, you know, of course, uh, through the machinations of, of Lovin, um, his father-in-law, and, and then on the other hand, though, you see that he's also involved in, in certain things, dressing up like his brother. And, um, and, and so there, there's all sorts of odd stuff going on in, in terms of, you know, when we, take, when we talk about truth, we, we like to use a word, yashar, which means straight, upright. Um, and yet you see by uh, Jacob, who's the embodiment of truth, who should be the embodiment of uprightness, you see all sorts of, it just it twists this way, it twists that way. So, so how do we reconcile all these things? But I want to pose the question on a, uh, on a deeper level, on an even more fundamental level, which is that, you see, when we, when we approach the idea of truth, and we'll apply this back to Yaakov in a moment, when we approach the idea of truth, we really mean the totality of something. And that's, you know, Hebrew, we say, that God made the, the whole world out of the, the Hebrew letters. And um, I heard Rabbi Shlomo say so beautifully one time that when the wind rustles through the trees, the sound that the leaves make is in Hebrew. Meaning to say that it's the language of nature, it's the, it's the language of, of, of reality itself. So, so, so it, it's really the case um, almost with every Hebrew word that they're all pictograms. That if you look at the word, you can tell an entire story just from the, the arrangement of the letters inside the word itself. So one of the most famous examples of this is for the word truth, emet. So emet, everybody knows, is it's aleph mem taf. Aleph is the first letter of the aleph bays, mem is the middle letter, and taf is the last letter. So in other words, something that is true can't be true for part of the time. Something that is truly true encompasses truth, meaning that there's, it, it, it has to address every aspect along the timeline. One of the things that um, the Rambam talks about, just to just meditate on this moment for a moment, uh, is he compares life to going through, um, traveling through across a desert at nighttime. So you can imagine like this barren expanse which is going for, you know, who knows how long in every single direction, just nothingness, every single direction. And then at night, right? And then there's a flash of lightning. And for one moment, you're able to orient yourself in a very tangible way. And then again, darkness. So the Rambam, take, that's the Rambam's imagery. He takes that and he says that this is our experience with life. That there are moments of clarity where we actually see and then it's darkness again. And so a person really has to live their lives in a way where they, they have the wherewithal to hold on to these moments of clarity. <clears throat> By the way, 
you know, a lot of people are sort of confounded and frustrated by the number of mitzvahs and the amount of halacha there is in Torah Judaism. And, and people even feel oppressed by it if they don't understand it. They, they're like, you know, I love, the, I love dancing on Shabbos. I love being at a, at a Friday night dinner. I love the, the sense of warmth and, and I, I feel something. But you're hitting me with all these mitzvahs. Like, you know, like, what's that all about? And, and a lot of the mitzvahs, not all of the mitzvahs, but a lot of the mitzvahs are to maintain that mindset when we go through the less glamorous parts of our life. And, and, and that's, that's crucial. It's crucial. It's crucial because otherwise a person just becomes inspiration-based. And I can tell you as someone who makes my livelihood in a, in a creative field, if you just sort of wait for inspiration, you will also wait for your unemployment check. <laughs> you know, there's a very, very strong correlation between those two things. You have to treat it like a job. You know, whether you have a job, whether you don't have a job, you have to get up, and it's whether it's 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. or whatever is your start time, and, and you, you, you sit down, and, and that's what it is. And you're working whether you have a job or whether you don't have a job, and you treat it both the same way. It can't be inspiration-based. It can't be. And Torah Judaism, if you look, and I'm talking about on a very sort of utilitarian, non-mystical, meat-and-potatoes level right now, the mitzvahs themselves keep you in this mindset. They, 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 they cause you to remember. They keep that alive. So, so, so getting back to this idea of truth. So truth is something that's always true. Truth is not just that moment when the lightning flashes in the desert and you're able to orient yourself and then you go back to the rest of your life. No, no, no. It remains true all during the day, all during the year, over the course of your lifetime. Okay? So just to spend one more moment on this imagery of being in the desert. Again, truth is something that's true for all times, not just in a particular era of humanity or civilization, okay? So meaning to say that probably, not that I've ever traversed a desert, but I can tell you I know one thing not to do, which is to make as my reference points large sand dunes, you know? (laughs) Because everybody knows that when the winds blow, even giant sand dunes become leveled and rearranged. So I think that that's also the case in terms of cultural uh, sacred cows, that we call them. Certain things that if you dare were to suggest what the, you know, what, what the culture is proposing at that moment, you know, you would be considered, you know, a, you know, a primitive, basically. And yet, a lot of those things, which are become the touchstones in certain civilizations, blow past, and you know, decades later, or hundreds of years later, that's looked back as not the truth, or that's looked back as primitivism. And so, when one considers truth, one has to consider the long haul of truth. It has to be not something that's just true, but something that's true forever. And, and that's what the Torah is. We say, Torah emet, that the Torah is truth. That if you're looking for that gateway, because how can I have that gateway for that thing which will always be true? That's the Torah. 
Those are the mitzvot, right? Whether you experience friction with a certain belief in that contemporary era or not. And we see that the Torah has been viable as a, as a viable civilization for all times throughout humanity in every corner of the world. How could it be that it, stand this, it stood the test for, for time? Something that's such a, I don't want to say rigid, because that would be the wrong word, but something that's such an exact, such an exact lifestyle. How could it be that it survived in every age and every corner of the world? How could it be? Unless that it was ultimately true. So, so let's get back to this idea of Yaakov. How is it that Yaakov represents truth? Again, we say that the prophet says, Titan emet Yaakov. Yaakov is the embodiment of this meter. So, so for something to be true, and again, now I want to go deeper still, I don't want to talk about just this world now. I want to talk about this world and the next world. Okay? For something to be true, it has to encompass not just what it means to live a, a good life, bless you, a good life in this world, in every age, in every corner of the world. Not, it's got to be more than that. If we say that the soul is eternal, that we all have a soul, and that the soul lives on beyond the body, and that essentially, in the deepest level, we're all immortal, if we're, if we're positing this, and that that then, we go to a place which is beyond time, which means that any aspect of time then becomes almost insignificant, even if it's, God willing, 120 healthy, happy years, right? Then certainly, if we're going to address the subject of truth, it has to address that aspect of eternity as well. But even more so, it's going to have to reconcile eternity with the temporal. The next world and this world. Anything that's true is going to have to be able to address and make harmonious eternity and our time in this world as well. So again, this is Yaakov. Now how do we see that this is Yaakov? I, I hope I'm communicating, because we're talking about truth right now. But I'm saying that if you want to go from Aleph to Taf, it's not just about within your own lifetime. It's not just within your own country or your own span of civilization. It has to be from this world all the way into the next world. That's the Aleph through Taf that we have to talk about. Because that's the only one. If you, if you want to be a businessman, right, and your life is your business, you want to be a businessman, that's the only thing you want to invest in. Right? You know, right now, you know, it's one of the hot things if, if you're into investing. Something called, like, if the people who are cool call it crypto. Like, I'm into crypto. What is that? That's cryptocurrencies. That's like things like Bitcoin, Ethereum. If you look at it, it just keeps on going up and up and up and up and up. I'm down. Well, that's the question. Yeah. Is it, you know, is it going to keep on going up and up and up and up? We don't know. We don't know. But what if there was something that actually did only go up and up and up and up and up? And down, temporarily, because it's ups and downs, right? That's also Yaakov. Yaakov has many, many setbacks. See, one of the wonders of Yaakov, if you really want to appreciate Yaakov, right, is that Yaakov is the only person in the entire Torah who we observe in his lifetime every possible societal 
um, interaction. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. We see him as a son, right? Dealing with his father. We see him as a grandson, even, in relationship with Abraham, because the whole birthright thing was, he was uh, 13. That was at the death of Abraham, even though that event is not mentioned with Abraham's name. So he grew up with Abraham. So you see him as a son. You see him as a grandson. You see him as a father, right? Dealing with all of his children, the selling of Yosef, right? You see him as a grandfather with Menashe and Ephraim. You see him as a brother, right? With, with, with the whole dealings with Esau. You see him as a husband, right? With, with, with Rachel and Leah and Bill and Zilpah, right? You see him as an employee, <laughs> right? In terms of dealing with a difficult boss, Lavin. You see him in every... You see him as a king, right? In terms of his relationship with Para. So you, you see him in every single version of what it is to be a human being. So this is also a, another reason why it's, it's, it's so important to understand that Yaakov, Titan Emet Yaakov, that, that if you want to understand truth, look into the life of Yaakov. Okay. But more than that, as Merva Shemesh points out, and a very important thing, especially as we're going to learn something deeper in a moment, is to understand that when we talk about Yaakov, we're talking about Yaakov. Yaakov is called by the Gemara the choice of the Avos. But don't make the mistake in thinking that, oh, Yaakov is the best, not Abraham and Yitzchak. That's not what it means. When it says that Yaakov is the choice of the Avos, what it means is, is that Yaakov is the culmination of the Avos. In other words, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, do you remember these padlocks that you put on your gym locker? And you turn left, and then you turn right, or you turn right, and then you turn left, and then you pull, and then it opens, right? So it's like, reality is, 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 it's like a labyrinth. It's like a big maze. You know? Abraham, we say, is to the right. It's chesed. Yitzchak is to the left. It's gvura. And then you pull. It's when you have the combination right, then you have Yaakov. And that's emet, right? That unlocks everything. But, but it's not just by walking straight into a wall. Right? You want to go to the door, you have to turn a little left. You have to turn a little right. Then you're able to walk through the opening. Okay, that's this world. You have to know how to navigate things. It's not just... Remember, truth as it exists in this world is not, is not so simple. It's not so simple. Of course a person has to tell the truth, but you know, I always like to give the example. If your grandmother makes you chicken soup, Right? And she asks you, how is it? There is only one answer. It's delicious. <laughs> there is only one answer. If you say, you know, grandmother, it's not your best work. You're a fool. You're an idiot. You're a fool and an idiot. And, and possibly even a liar. Even if it doesn't taste good. Unless it makes her laugh. Because what is she asking you when she's asking you, is the chicken soup good? She's asking you, do you love me? That's what she's asking. 
And so the answer is only, yes, of course I love you. And in the language of the conversation that you're having, it's that the chicken soup is delicious. So, so, so sometimes you have to understand that what's, what's being transacted is, is deeper than just on the superficial level. So that's Yaakov. Because what we're talking about with Yaakov, and now we're going to get into it in a more serious way, what we're talking about when we're talking about Yaakov is we're talking about eternal truth. The deepest truth. We're talking about forever truth. Remember, Yaakov has another name. Yisrael. Right? That's the whole Jewish people. So, so when we're talking about Yaakov, don't just think we're talking about someone who lived forever ago, who was the culmination of this, this great lineage of Avram and Yitzchak. We're talking about you and me right now. So, so now let's go deeper. So in Parshas Fayetze, we have the, the famous, famous dream, one of the most famous things in the entire Torah. Yaakov has a dream. He goes to sleep and he sees a ladder. And the bottom of the ladder is parked on earth and the top of the ladder goes all the way up into the heavens. And he sees their angels going up and down the ladder. Okay? And then Yaakov realizes... He, he wakes up and he realizes this is the entrance to heaven. And he says, I didn't know. I didn't know. So the first thing that we have to do is understand what the Gomorrah is telling us. The Gomorrah is explaining this dream. It's on, uh, we'll get to it. It's on Sadi Aleph in, in Gomorrah Hulun. But the first thing that we have to understand is what, what was the scale of this ladder and these angels? So if you had asked me, I would have said, well, you know, I don't know, it's a ladder. <laughs> Maybe I'd seen one commentary, it stretched from this city to this city, so it seems like a pretty big ladder, but not the biggest ladder. Okay, but now look in the commentary in the Gomorrah and see what it tells you. It says that the ladder actually stretched from one leg of the ladder to the other leg of the ladder, most of the size of the earth. And then, if you take the angels, by the way, just a, a, a rule that you should know in terms of learning Torah, if you ever have plural, a plural word in the Torah, it means two, unless it says otherwise. If it says five, then it means five. But if it just says years, it means two years, unless it says otherwise. So if you have, so when it says angels, that means two angels, unless it specifies otherwise. So when it says that there were angels going up and down the ladder, that means there were two angels going up the ladder and two angels coming down the ladder. Now it says that, that if you can imagine, there's a certain point where the two angels going up the ladder are going to be on the same level as the two angels going down the ladder, so that there will be four angels across. So if you have the width of the ladder and the four angels across, the angels themselves were a significant portion of the width of the entire earth. So that image was larger than the planet Earth, what, what Yaakov Avinu saw. I think that this is a very important teaching because it shows you the, the type of scale that we're dealing with. And a person really has to have expanded consciousness 
to understand how epic reality is. You know, one of the things that we kind of like, it's, it's not very well known, I don't think this is very well known in, among most people, but it's important to know. There are exceptions to this, by the way. But the general rule is that we receive our reward for the mitzvahs in the next world. You know, this is, that, that's, that, that's not for every mitzvah. There's certain mitzvahs that we do receive our reward in this world. And there's certain mitzvahs that we receive benefit in this world, but it's not called reward. So the Rambam talks about this. It's very interesting. If you, if you know what an, in, again, we'll go back to business. If you know what an IPO is, that means an, an initial public offering. So when a startup begins, if they're sort of like making themselves open for investments, that's called an IPO. Okay? So, so all of us, so to speak, are IPOs. And if we are doing exciting things with our life, right? And exciting would be, de- be defined in this case as mitzvot, exciting mitzvot. In other words, we're trying to really improve our, our lives. We're trying to really improve the world. We're trying to start a new uh, chesed project for the world to like lift up the world and, and care for people and things like this. If God, so to speak, gets excited about such a thing, he will send you more bracha so that you can do more with this project whether it be your life or this particular project or whatever it is. Do you understand? So sometimes people are blessed, they start to do good things, and then they get a bracha, a blessing for wealth, but the Rambam explains, don't think that that's you receiving your reward in this world, which is even better, because that means that that reward is preserved for you. What it is, is God is nesting in your IPO. (laughs) God's saying, this looks like a good business. If they have some more capital, they can do even more great things. Right? Let's send this guy a wife. Let's send this woman a, a husband. Let's send them kids so that they can do even more. That's, that, that's, that's the Rambam's take on, on this. Okay? Nonetheless, we have this concept of reward, which for the most part awaits us. Okay? So, so let's return back to, to Yaakov. So Yaakov has this blessing. Oh, just to finish that thought. So, so we have to understand this idea, the scale of this ladder and these angels, it's bigger than the world. So one of the answers why we don't receive reward in this world right now, right in the category now that is called reward, is that the world literally isn't large enough to hold the reward for him. It's fun. And when you imagine like how big these angels are, how big this ladder is that's going up and down, that it's bigger than the world itself, it begins to make sense how it's possible that there's that the world literally can hold the reward for a mitzvah. It's an awesome idea. And again, it answers another question, which is, why isn't Mashiach here yet? Why isn't Mashiach here yet? It's been so many years. And the way I understand it is... Because the scale of this project is so epic. It's so com- we're talking about universes. It's giant, this project. If it's taking time, it, given the scale of it, it makes sense that it's taking time.
But again, just you have to appreciate the scale of what it is that we're doing. Now, I saw something that blew my mind. It blew my mind. Now, this is from Rabbi Ari Kaplan. In addition to being just, just a master of the revealed and the hidden Torah, he was also one of the top physicists in the world not so long ago, right? A few decades ago. One of the top physicists in the world. In fact, I know someone who was best friends with him at some point, and so he told me a few stories about being friends with him, and he told me that his math IQ was so great it couldn't be measured. And the reason is because on certain IQ tests, I guess part of the, the way they determine what your score is, is how long it takes you to answer the question. And he would be asked a math question, and he would answer it immediately. So they had no way of gauging what his math IQ was. Because as soon as they asked the question, he answered it. So this is literally off the charts, and someone who knew the hidden and revealed Torah. He says, this is from him, the number of letter combinations of the olive base, right? So let's start with two letter combinations. Let's say olive bays. That's one combination. Bays olive. That's another combination, right? Even within the same two letters. And then you've got combinations of three and four and ten and fifteen and two. It totals around a trillion. Wow. Which is the number of stars and heavenly bodies in the sky. <laughs> now, if you... The correlation between the combinations of the number of letters and the amount of heavenly bodies, if you remember that we say, and we've said it a million times, that God created the world through the Hebrew letters, and there's a, a correlation between the combinations of the Hebrew letters and the, the number of heavenly bodies, that should blow your mind to bits because it means that every time you're actually doing a mitzvah or learning Torah you're creating worlds and it's not a joke it's not a joke it's like this so again the the epicness of the skip so now the angels are climbing up and down and the Gomorrah records that the angels, as they're rising up, they see on the throne of glory, the Kisei covered, they see Yaakov Avinu's face is etched into the Kisei covered, along with an eagle and a ox and a... Lion. Let's see. What's lion? What's it? Lion? And a lion. Yeah, thank you. So you've got four images. But the, the image that represents mankind is Yaakov's. Okay, if you want to learn more about that, that's all in the vision of Yechezkel, Ezekiel. Okay? So, so the angels look up and they see Yaakov's face, and then they look down and they see Yaakov asleep dreaming on earth, and it says that the angels got jealous. And that Hashem actually had to stand over Yaakov to protect them from the heat of their gaze and was so to speak fanning that God so to speak was fanning Yaakov to keep him safe or cool from the heat of the angels gaze why, why were the angels jealous so the way I understand it is here's this 
heavenly creature, Yaakov Avinu. We understand how he exists in the higher realms where there's no body, where there's no challenge. How does he exist with a boss like Lovin, who's trying to cheat him at every single moment? With a brother like Esau, who's trying to murder him? How does he how does he how does he conduct himself in this world? How does he remain at this level of someone whose face is carved into the Kisei Akavid, into the throne of glory? So I'd like to say that this is why Hashem is standing over him. And remember Yaakov is Israel, it's all of us. That you're right, angels, it is impossible. But because Hashem assists us, because Hashem stands over us, we're able to do it. Or we have a chance of doing it, because Hashem assists us. Remember, it says in the Gemara that a person's Yetzirah is, is, actually, is actually stronger than they are. The Yetzirah is stronger than a person is, just outright. But because Hashem helps us, we're able to overcome our Yetzirah. So that's the image of Hashem standing over Yaakov. And by extension, all of us. Now, isn't it interesting? So, so now, just to make sure that we're following this whole thing, what, what did we say? We said, Titan Emet Yaakov. That Yaakov is truth. That truth is Aleph through Tuf. That expand, it, it, it extends from, from one end to the other from the beginning of life in this world to the end. But not just from the beginning of life into this world until the end, but from this world to the next world. So Yaakov has this image of the latter, which is extending from this world to the next world and extending the hidden realms and the revealed realms to show you that just like we say Yaakov is truth, we also say Torah temet, that the Torah is truth. That the Torah is this gateway which reconciles the sum total of absolutely everything. And I'll tell you something interesting about the from the Or Chaim, something beautiful about just a, just a commentary about Yaakov's dreaming about the latter. Okay, which is he says that every time a person goes to sleep, remember the latter was planted on the, on the earth, but extended into the heavens. He says every time a person goes to sleep, their soul leaves their body, but not entirely, not entirely. Part of the soul remains in your body, and part of the soul extends upward like a ladder climbing into the heavens. So every single time you go to sleep, you, so to speak, enact this dream of Yaakov Avinu, because... Your soul remains rooted in the ground because part of the, your soul remains in your body, but part of your soul extends up into the heavens, just like Jacob's ladder. And, and you receive, like, you know, if you're able to overcome your Yetzahara, then you're able to receive dreams like Yaakov received dreams, which have a taste of prophecy to them. Amen. But you should also know, it says in the Gomorrah in Brachas, page 55, that every dream has an element of foolishness in it and nonsense in it. So, and it also says in that Gomorrah that all dreams go according to their interpretation. So just to tell you a few practical things about dreams, 
Only share a dream, especially a troubling dream, or even a good dream, with someone who you love or someone who loves you, because it's very important that they not under-interpret a dream <laughs> or over-interpret a dream. And if you're in doubt, probably don't share it at all, you know? Or if they don't know this, say, alert them to the fact that the dream goes according to the interpretation. Also, if you have a troubling dream, you should know that you can fast for that. But in today's day and age, that's considered very severe to do. It's better to give tzedakah if you have a troubling dream. And then if you look at the back of the art scroll, there's a special little prayer service that you can do for a troubling dream where you have you sit with three friends and you say something and they say something back and there's a back and forth. It's called, one of the great English words, the amelioration of dreams. That's how they translate it into English. And it's in the back of uh, every art scroll, uh, sitter. And um, basically what they tell you is you have loved ones telling you it's a good dream. But still you should give tzedakah, right? And... Again, just in terms of maintaining mental health here, if you have a troubling dream, it's really only a really serious problem if it's a recurring dream, you should know. Okay? So, but you can give it a positive interpretation. You should give it a positive interpretation. And the next thing is also, it could be that that part that you're troubled by is nonsense because there is no dream without nonsense. Every dream, even the most prophetic dream, and we're not even capable of having the type of dreams that Yosef had anymore, which were the closest correlation between dreams and prophecy. We don't have those anymore. So, and even Yosef's dreams had an element of uh, foolishness in them. Okay, that's from the Gomorrah. So, all the more so, ours have quite a bit by extension. So you can reassure yourself if there's a troubling aspect to your dream to, by saying that that's, that that's foolishness, that that's nonsense. And again, a dream goes according to its interpretation. Okay. Another thing just to know, as long as we're talking practically about dreams right now, is that um, when we do Birkas Kahanam, so um, the Sephardim do it more uh, frequently, so if you really have to find a Birkas Kahanam situation, go to a Sephardic shul. But the, the Ashkenazim do it um, on, 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 the, you know, on Sukkot, Pesach, and Shavuos. And there's a paragraph during Birkas Kahanam, which I recommend everyone read anyway. It's, I think it's one of the most beautiful things in the entire Siddur, which is a blessing uh, to turn bad dreams into good dreams and for good dreams to be strengthened and becoming even greater blessings. And it's really, it's, it's super beautiful. And you can, you can look that up in the sitter. It's, it's a paragraph um, that's there. So anyway, that's a bit of an overview for dreams. But let's get back to this idea of heaven and earth basically coming under one umbrella, coming under one truth, and, and experiencing that within the life of Yaakov. So, so we've got two more very beautiful examples one is the fact that Yaakov marries two sisters. And the two sisters are Leah, who represents the hidden worlds, and Rachel, who represents the revealed worlds. And both of them come together in Yaakov. 
So that's a uniting of the revealed and the hidden. And they have to come together because Yaakov is unifying this world and the next and everything like that. Not only that, but let's also further understand that Yaakov was the one who instituted the prayer of Mariv. Now, Mariv in Hebrew contains the word that means to mix up. Because what is nighttime? Nighttime is a time of confusion. Or more sort of homiletically, nighttime is a time of hardship in our lives where we become confused. So, but isn't it funny that the Jewish day begins at night? Because what is the, what is the mission of the Jewish people except to infuse darkness with light? Or to clarify that, that, that there's only light. That ultimately there's only light. You see, this is such a fundamental concept in Torah and in, 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 in our lives. And we have to really understand this. Most people think that the origin of the world was, God says, Vayahi or, let there be light. Which means that the, the beginning of all creation was darkness, and then God adds light. This is a lie. This is not Judaism. This is not what we believe at all. We say before the world existed, there was only God. And he goes by the name as well, or in self, light without end. Before there was a world, all there was was light. And then God creates a world which masks that light. And darkness is a creation. Darkness is not the baseline setting of reality. Light is the baseline setting of reality. So even nighttime, what is nighttime then? Nighttime is just something that covers the light that never goes away. Remember, we say, and again, another absolute fundamental, which you have to know, which is that we say, we understand, we believe that God exists in this realm that we live in 100% as much as He exists in the highest reaches of heaven. But He's covered over in this world. But he's no less present in this world. But it's covered over. Just like night. It's the beginning of a new day. It's light. But it's covered over. So who's coming to uncover the darkness of night? Who's coming to show that ultimately it's all light? Yaakov. And you see it in his name as well. What is Yaakov? It's the letter Yud from the Yudke Vavke, which is the highest the highest, highest reaches of holiness, the highest reaches of light, married to the word ekev, which means heal, which is the furthest place from the head and the heart. So that's what Yaakov is doing. He's bringing that yud all the way down to the darkest place to show that it's all light. Okay, now where do we see this even, even more deeply? Okay, let's go even deeper than that, okay? So we know before Yaakov took this dream, he had 12 stones and he arranged it around him. Why? So that the wild animals wouldn't kill him during his sleep. That's, 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 that's the, the aspects of this world that want to tear us apart. The wild animals that want to tear us apart. So what are these 12 stones that he placed around himself to stop the wild animals from devouring him and killing him in his sleep. 
So let's count, okay? Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. That's six words or six stones. Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuso Le'olam Va'ed. That's also six words or six stones. So he surrounded himself with a Shema and Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuso, right? And it says when he woke up, a miracle had happened and all the stones were fused, in, fused into one stone. Exile is a dream. Exile is a dream. The nighttime is a dream. It's one long dream. And when Yaakov awakes from the dream, all of the division, all the illusions of multiplicity become revealed as one. When the redemption comes, we see that it was only God. That it was only God the entire time. And now we can answer another question. The Orachayim points something out. It says that when Yaakov goes to sleep, it just says he went to sleep. And then later on, a few sukkim later, you know, it says, oh, and the name of that place was called Luz. Well, that, that's an important piece of information. Why, why deny us that information until later? So Luz is a very interesting word, extremely interesting, because we know that we have, every single person has what's called the Luz bone. The Luz bone is a little bone in the back of your neck. And it says, basically, all people, we were learning this the other day, if you want to listen to a shir about counteracting jealousy and counteracting envy in your life. I called it, Why Am I So Jealous? Um, Torah on iTunes.com if you want to look it up. But the Gomorrah says that basically people's bones rot underground because of envy. Nonetheless, there's one bone that never rots. Never decomposes. That, that's called the loose bone. And it says that the resurrection of the dead, Tachiyas Amesim, is going to come from this bone. And by the way, if this sounds totally wild and sci-fi, right? Just consider for the fact that we're finding fossils now where we're scraping out the DNA from the fossils and we're recreating the, the, the thing itself. So this is actually modern science. It's hilarious, actually, how, how, how science is still catching up with Torah. So, so this is the loose bone, and it says that the food that we eat for the Malava Malka after Shabbos is over is the only food that feeds the loose bone. And you want to hear something really funny? I'll tell you something really funny. You know who brings that? The Mishnah Brewer brings that. If you, if you know these things, the Mishnah Brewer is like straight, 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 straight. Like, you would not confuse the Mishnah Brewer with the, with the Zohar. But you understand that when, you, when the Mishnah Brewer is bringing a teaching like the food from Malava Malka feeds the loose bone, from which will be Techiyas Amesim, you understand how this is normative Judaism. 
This is not mystical. These are not mystical ideas. Oh, you're a mystic. No, no, no. I'm a Jew. This is, this is straight Judaism right now. This is not like extra credit, like wear funny hat Judaism. This is like regular <laughs> Judaism. You know, our, our, our tradition is pretty way out, actually. Like you have, to, you have to keep in mind that what's so interesting about Judaism is that we're phenomenally detail-oriented. We're holding up pieces of lettuce to the sky to make sure there's no bug in it. At the same time, we're talking about exactly how wide an angel is. <laughs> so, and, bo- and all of these things come together because of the word emet. Torah emet. Titan emet leyakov. Because we're talking about the great expanse of reality. And there's no contradiction. So, so Shema Yisrael, Baruch Shem Kavod, this is these concepts, the oneness of God and the fact that God is extant on earth, that this earth is a kingdom of God, it's a resting place of God by His choice, by His creation. But we've got another origin story to Shema Yisrael, Baruch Shem Kavod, which is that the Medrash teaches that when Yaakov was on his deathbed, right, and we also say Yaakov Lomes, Yaakov didn't die, this is why we can say Yaakov didn't die. Because we know he was mummified. The Torah itself tells us that he was mummified. So what do the sages mean when it says Yaakov didn't die? Because what they're talking about, remember Yaakov is Yisrael. And remember, all our souls live forever because we're talking about the totality of existence that he's the emissary of. That's what it means, that none of this stuff dies, that it's all alive, right? So Yaakov is... Quote, quote unquote on his deathbed and he's surrounded by his 12 sons and by the way everybody knows that the positions of the sons around the deathbed of Yaakov was also the positions of the tribes in the encampment through the march through the desert with the Torah in the middle being Yaakov right so in terms of the positionality right so Yaakov is very concerned. You know, now I have, you know, it's one thing with, with an individual. You have 12 children, 12 sons anyway, 12, 12 sons. Are they going to follow what I followed? It's not so simple. 12? 12 sons? So they want to reassure Yaakov. They want to reassure their father. And remember, his name is also Israel. So they say to him on his deathbed, they say to him, Shema Yisrael, hear Israel, hear our father Yaakov. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. God is also our God, and God is going to remain our God forever. And then it says, what was Yaakov Avinu's answer back to them when he hears that? He blesses them, Baruch Shem Kavod Machuso Leilam Ve'ed may it be that the glory of God should always be manifest in this world. So now we're talking about the bridge from the next world to this world. We're talking about that Shema Yisrael is the eternal truth, but then to bring down that truth, remember, what's this realm called? Malchus. Kabbalistically speaking, this realm is called Malchus, the place of his kingship. Right? So when we say, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchus Le'elam Ve'ed, we're talking about channeling that oneness 
into this world. And how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you make the seamless connection, the seamless connection between the next world and this world, so that you're living a life which is emet, which is, you're living a life which is, has complete totality as in, and is incorporating the sum total of all existence. Okay, so now, listen carefully. This is from the Chedush Aaron. I'm going to put it into my words, but this is his thought. All of us are individuals. All of us have um, <coughs> unique properties that God himself has given us. Remember, the Gomorrah says that God is not like a, a, a regular craftsman. A regular craftsman, when he makes a coin, whatever, he, he, he stamps the coin, he stamps the coin, and every coin has the, the same... Um, every every, every uh, coin looks the same. But when God makes a person, no two people have the same face. Right? So God is beyond, 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 beyond. Not like us. So we have this we have this tremendous gift which is our individuality and that's by design. It's by design. You know l- let me just pause and, and, and make and make a, a separate point. Psychologically speaking when children grow up there's something there's a process called individuating. So to individuate you see it has the word individual in it. That means that the process in which you become an individual. Right? Which means that at a certain point you can't be a carbon copy of your parents. And that it's sort of built into our the human condition to become your own person. That means to individuate. Okay? But what I want to do is I want to make a distinction between individuating and rebelling. To individuate doesn't necessarily mean to rebel. I think this is a big idea. I think this is a big idea because, let me tell you why. Because especially I think that when we go through a change and we or, or a growth period and we begin to individuate, right? that sometimes the Yetzirah wants to come to us and tell us that we're rebelling at that point and try to seize the narrative of our personal development at that moment and try to tell us that what it is is that you're a rebel and then it wants to sell you another agenda. And as long as you're rebelling, as long as you're changing your kind of ways, here's uh, my wish list. Why don't you include these practices in your in your new formation since you're rebelling? And since a person doesn't necessarily you have to be hypersensitive of your own process to understand that you're individuating at all. So if all of a sudden remember, the Yetzirah, the Gomorrah Sukkah says has seven different names. The the the, the last name, the most deadly name of the Yetzirah is Tsafon, which means hidden which means spiritual identity theft, where the Yetzahara comes and seizes the word I in your own thinking and starts to tell you that you're the one who's having these thoughts, even though you aren't. Spiritual identity theft. 
So all of a sudden you're beginning to individuate, you're beginning to grow, you're beginning to question, you're beginning to say, you know what, maybe I can keep Shabbos. Maybe I don't have to do everything my friends are doing. Maybe there's a greater truth out there. Maybe, maybe there's more to life than chasing a buck. Maybe, maybe I should sprout wings and fly, you know, in these like grand currents that my people have flown in for thousands of years. Or the Yetzirah comes and says, no, you just want to do your thing, man. And as long as we're going to do our thing, Vegas, baby. <laughs> that would be a very, sort of, sort of like a little <laughs> brief history, a brief history of a moment of <laughs> individuating, where the Yetzirah tries to seize the narrative, tries to tell you that that's really you, that's really the conversation that's happening at that moment. So I just ask you to keep in mind the difference between individuating and growing and rebelling. It's not rebelling, but or doesn't always mean that it's rebelling. But the Yetzirah might want to tell you that it is, and then try to grab the steering wheel and take a person in a different direction. So we're all individuals and we all have our individuality which is a prize and a beautiful thing. But you know what's the most amazing thing that we can do? Now remember, think of this awesome ladder bridging heaven and earth. Think of Yaakov's face above and Yaakov's face below. Think of this grand unity that exists, that there's only light. So the Chedush Arun says, you know how you take the truth of Shema Yisrael and bring it down into this realm, into Baruch Shem Kavod Machuso? You make God's will your will. Or put a different way, you make your will God's will. And then all of a sudden there becomes a seamless unity amidst this world, amidst your individuality. And the Chidush Erem points to a beautiful example of this, something that was like really miraculous that happened in the Torah. When the, when the Mishkan, which remember is the prototype for the uh, Beit HaMikdash, the, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, the tabernacle, it's also called. The, when the Mishkan was dedicated, remember it says the Mishkan, fascinating, the sages say that the Mishkan was a microcosm, was a miniature of the world, of the universe, and of, an, uh, uh, and of a human being simultaneously. Okay, it was an individual, it was the entire world, and it was also this place of worship, which was the connection between heaven and earth. Okay? Now, at the day of its dedication, over the period of its dedication, a prince from each of the 12 tribes had one day reserved for it, and it's the longest Parsha in the entire Torah. It tells you what each prince brought as gifts, as part of dedicating, remember, the Mishkan, which is a miniature of the individual, 
which is a miniature of the entire world, it, it devotes the Torah an entire paragraph to what they brought. Each of them brought. And now you want to hear something crazy? They all brought the exact same thing. They all brought the exact same thing. And you know what? They each had entirely different kavanas for what it is that they brought as they were bringing the exact same thing. And not only that, but the Chidush Arum points out something very, very deep. That each person, individual at that point, because they were so connected with the community, each individual had the status of the community as they were bringing it. Because they were simultaneously themselves, but they were simultaneously the entire world. They were simultaneously the portal between heaven and earth and showing on the grand unity that that becomes revealed over everything when you make your will God's will. Okay. So just to finish that point about the loose bone, so the food that we eat, Motzi Shabbos, after Shabbos, it says strengthens the loose bone. So if the loose bone never, never disintegrates, then why do you need a stronger loose bone? <laughs> right? So I think what it means is, the way I understand it, is that if you're saying that the food that you eat, Motzi Shabbos, strengthens the loose bone, if the loose bone is that thing that you're going to become, you know, resurrected from, meaning to, meaning to say that you're going to get a vision of forever from, that during your lifetime, if you have a stronger loose bone, that means that you have a stronger concept of eternity. And that actually makes sense, because when is that moment to have a stronger concept of eternity? You see, every time Shabbos ends, remember, Shabbos is the seventh day of the week. Every time Shabbos ends, you have a, a fork in the road. You can go in one of two different directions. You can drop back down to one and build up to seven again, or you can go to the number eight. That's what the Malava Malka is. Wow. Right? Now remember, Malava Malka is a very beautiful word. Malava means, like most people say, the, the sort of the straight way of learning Malava Malka is that you're escorting the queen. Like that Malava comes from the word Lavaya, which means to escort. So you don't just say, okay, Shabbos is over, let's run to the movies. Whatever it is, well, you can do that. You can have your Malava Maka after the movies. It's not a problem. You can even have your Malava Maka Sunday morning, by the way, according to some opinions. And by the way, you say Migdol in the benching by Malava Maka. And it's a Segula for Parnosa. There's a lot of beautiful things for Malava Maka. Also, it's nice to light candles. It's like there's a whole, there's a whole order for, for uh, Malava Maka. You should have in mind the Noam Elimelech, um, that great Sadik. Anyway, but the idea is that the Avni Nezer, who is the son-in-law of the Kutzke Rebbe, says, no, Malava comes from the word Levi, the name Levi, which we just had in this Parsha, that when Leah had Levi, that was her third son with Yaakov, she said, now my husband will cleave to me. So now listen to this. It comes out now that Malava Malka doesn't mean escorting Shabbos out, it means holding on to Shabbos. Cleaving to Shabbos. It's the complete opposite meaning. You won't let Shabbos go. Now, what is the Messianic period called? Yom, Shuk Yom Shukula Shabbos. The day that will be all Shabbos. So the Malava Malka, now you understand, stands for that period 
of, of the period that's all Shabbos. In other words, Shabbos has just ended. So what am I doing now that Shabbos has ended? I'm now holding on to the period where Shabbos never goes away. So that's a very expansive idea. That's the idea of going instead of from seven back down to one, the seventh day of the week back to Yom Rishon. Now I'm going to this very sort of unbelievable place, which is called like the, this is like the number eight, which is now called, now we can get deeper. You ready? This is called the fourth meal of Shabbos. David Amelech is called the fourth meal of Shabbos. Now, I just learned this from this new Chumash of the Orach Chaim. Listen to this, something unbelievable. And it goes right back to exactly what we were learning today, so it's perfect. What are the four legs of the ladder? Okay, so you say, okay, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. That's easy. That was easy. So the Orach Chaim says, you know who, what, the, what the first leg of the ladder is before Avram? Adam. Adam Arishon. Like, you don't usually, like, Adam doesn't get a lot of ink after the first part, you know? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Adam, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov. But, what do we call the Malava Malka? It's the fourth meal of Shabbos. The meal of the Feast of King David. And, and at some point, it's a sogula to say, at some point, Motzi Shabbos, to say, David HaMelech. Right? So if you need a fixed time to do it so you don't forget, when you wash for Malava Malcha, you can just say, David HaMelech, right? Okay, but now listen to this. Once David HaMelech is born, remember, David HaMelech, the, the Medrash says that Avraham, Avraham lived to 930 years. Now, that's a weird number, right? Uh, you know what a nice number is? A thousand years, that's a nice number. 930 years is a little shvach, wouldn't you agree? How long did David Amalekh live? 70 years. Oh, isn't that interesting? 930 and 70 equals 1,000. So what does it say? It says that Adam Arishon saw all the future generations, and he saw, he saw like basically the neshama of David Amalekh, and he sees that it dies basically at birth. So he asks Hashem about it, and Hashem explains it to him. And Avram says, Adam says, I'll take 70 years from my life and give it to David Amelech. So now, once David is born, all of a sudden, Adam steps aside and David Amelech becomes the fourth leg of the ladder. Okay? But, what does Adam stand for? Adam is spelled Aleph Dalad Mem, which is Adam, David Amelech, Mashiach. Since <laughs> so basically we're all it's all the same thing you know what I mean <laughs> it's all you want to call it Adam you want to call it David you want to call it the soul of Mashiach it's you see this is the wonder of Torah this is the wonder of Torah is that everything goes back to oneness in the end everything goes back to oneness in the end this is why this system is so divine it's divine it doesn't a human couldn't compose a system where everything, the most far-reaching different things all fit together. It, a human being is not capable of this. So, so, so this is the loose bone. And by the way, there's a practice, a minute you see some people do it, I like to do it too, where you put your pinkies into the, the wine after Havdalah, and they put it in various places, right? My son, when he was five years old, Moshe Chaim, I'm so proud of him, he said this Torah, why do you, why, you put it in your pockets, so he said, you know why you put the wine in your pockets? 
so that you can carry Shabbos with you all week. That unbelievable. He was five years old when he said that. So, so, so one of the places people will put the wine is on the loose bone, on, on, on your neck. And so that's, that's this idea of the loose bone because we're going from Shabbos, which is a taste of eternity, into the regular world. We're going from light into darkness. Okay? Where does Yaakov Avinu have this dream of the ladder which connects the revealed world with the hidden world? Lose. That's what the Torah tells us. But here's my point. Here's my answer to the Orchayim is that why is the name of the place withheld from us until after the event? Because during our lifetime, we don't know that we're in the place of eternity right now. This is hidden from us. And later on, we find out that it was lose, it was light all the time. It was light the entire time. Now for some questions and answers. So I understood that there was Choshech that preceded the light. I understand that God is the end self, but there was an element of Choshech that preceded the creation. Right, but as long as light precedes that, then we're back to square one, that light is the baseline. Right, so you're saying that the Aryan Sov is not what's written in the Torah first. That the creation of the light was... was, was well, God, God, God existed before the world existed. So when you have the presence of God before the world existed, you have the presence of light before the world exists. Right. Okay. Just as simple as that. Okay, and right? then another... Our rabbi asked a question about why is it that the two seemingly um, opposing elements to Yaakov were seemingly colors. Lavan was white. And Asa, Asa, which is Edom, was red. So we were talking about it that, and this fits very well into the Yadda yeah. element, because my understanding, when I was taught, that we, we draw from the Yud, a white Yud, yeah. ultimately. And we bring it down into, through our Svirot into Malchut, which is the Aiken, ultimately. So when you were saying how Aiken represents Malchus, that, 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 that fits in really well, where we're taking the Yud from Yaakov. Yeah. And, and which is one, the light, and bring it into the A-cap. Yeah. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Oh, I said that. I think I said that. Oh, yeah. I'm saying as far as the colors, and that's why they're... Oh, the out, colors? So, like, love, why, is love, yeah. why does the white represent yeah. love on, and Edom yeah. is, is considered mafu? Right. So, I don't know if I'm answering this exactly, but just talk about the colors for one moment. I, I had a really kind of interesting moment one time. Um, you know, you can make a color wheel, which has all the different colors, and then something really crazy happens. You, you look at it, there are all, there's like maybe 10 different colors. You spin it, and it all becomes white. I've, I've done it. You, you can see. You know, the, the um, lack of truth has, has many manifestations. And one of them is the appearance of truth. <laughs> you know. It says that the Yetzirah sometimes comes to a person dressed as a rabbi. Wow. Right? Coming, coming to get them to do something they're not ready for yet. Mm-hmm. There, there is such a thing as mm-hmm. a growth moment where you're, you can positively challenge yourself, and that's, that's actually a good thing. That's positive. But there's also moments where you're not ready for something, and you do it, and it's, 
ultimately a destabilizing thing. And this is why a person has to have a guide when they take on mitzvot. And they, they, they have to proceed in a way where they can go from solid ground to solid ground. And it's also um, a great argument for having a Jewish community. Because a lot of these practices, it's like really Torah Ju Judaism is really a team sport. You know, I mean, you can do it on your own. You can keep Shabbos by yourself. But it's not fun. It's really not fun. And it actually is actively fun when you're doing it in the context of a community. And it's just, you know, so, you know, they're, they're like, I remember counseling someone one time, or I don't know, counseling is sounds a little overwrought for a word, but someone was asking me for advice anyway, and I was telling him, like, if you want to start keeping Shabbos, you have to move into a community where there's Shabbos. This person lived in an isolated place. And, you know, sadly, the person didn't have the wherewithal to do that. And it's, it's, it's not surprising that, that that desire that he had also disappeared. So, so there are certain things that a person needs to do to, 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 to proceed in a way that's very holistic. And part of the understanding of an individual is that you aren't just you. You're part of something greater. And at a certain point in the process of you becoming the most you has to be this recognition that you are also part of a community. That's part of your own self-realization. In other words, it's not a surrendering of yourself to say, oh, now i got to hang out with these people. Like, ugh. Right? That is a further blossoming of your own self. Because your soul is connected with these other souls. That, that, that's the truth. And by the way, there is every shade of community at this point. So you'd really have to really come up with a really good argument with me to tell me that you can't find anyone you can relate to in the, you know, in the greater community. You, you know, especially at a place like the Happy Minute. I mean, you've got every type of personality that comes to this place. So it would be very, very hard to say that there's someone you can't have a good conversation with. I have one more quick thing. Yeah. The 12 stones, did they, yeah. did they uh, correspond to the 12 tribes? A hundred percent. Yeah, that's basic shot. So that's basic shot. So when he set up, when Yaakov set up the yeah. 12 stones, he put it uh, exactly how he knew that. Yes, and, and the around. 12 stones becoming one was the idea that the 12 sons will follow a, a unified path. Yeah. Yes. I have a, a thought and a question. Yeah. Uh, my thought was, uh, we were talking about Emmet and the, the grandmother example. It was so beautiful yeah. that like, you know, there's only one answer to your grandmother. Right. One thing that um, I thought about was that uh, I feel like there is only one answer, which is to make her happy and to reinforce her. Right. But there's a myriad of ways, I think, to reach that answer. For example, if you, it's like I think that I think part of the answer, part of Emmet, is listening to someone. So if you know that your grandma's like, "How's the soup?" and you're like, "It sucks," and she's like, ha, ha, and she laughs and she loves it. You know, that's the answer, actually. The answer that makes her happy. Yeah. I'm not saying it no. sucks. That's about But she, but she, if she's laughing at that moment, she's laughing to make you happy. You think? Yes. But what about the connection? Yes. What about the yes. connection? Really? But, wait, but I'm saying, like, not as it sucks really. Like, I mean, that was a bad example. It was too harsh, yeah. you know? But, like, you say a joke that makes her laugh, that that means I love you. Like, the, the connection saying, hey, we have this joke, we have this humor that, that's like, that's 
That's like to laugh with someone is so, is so powerful. It's like that destroys all the klipot, right? Laughing. Didn't Rabbi Nachman talk about that? But, so. but, but what I'm positing is a moment where someone wants reassurance. You know, I'll tell you something. Sometimes I'll like, uh, like I went out for lunch to, with a guy and he ordered this like, like amazing burger and he had never been to this restaurant before and it's a kosher restaurant. I really wanted him to like it. And the burger looked like, it was like the type of thing that people take pictures of and put on Instagram, you know, it looked amazing. And so I was very anxious for him to like it. But one thing that I've learned over the years is that if you say to someone, do you like it? And they, they're probably going to say yes because they don't want to be insulting. That it's a, a much more powerful affirmation if you wait for them to say, this is amazing. Mm. Do, do you understand? Yeah. So, so not asking, not asking mm. is, is, and to, to allow them to volunteer it, if, if you want to be reassured, that's a much more, that's a much more solid reassurance. So if someone is asking at all, it means that on some level they want some reassurance. So if they're asking you, how is it, that hints at some level of insecurity. Wow, wow, wow. Do, do you understand? Yeah, that's what yeah. you. Yeah. So, so it's not a time for a joke. So everything that you're saying about bonding through laughter is correct, but this is not the, this is not the example for it. Right. Okay. Yes. And that question, question, was you mentioned the, the lightning in the desert yeah. uh, example. I was wondering, if you get little, like a little mini vision here and there, those little visions that maybe right. are not seen as so normal, like whatever, right. like, whatever, you think you see like another ball of dancing, made of like yellow and green fire, for example, whatever it is, it's right. an awesome holy vision that right. comes very, right. uh, and maybe it comes repeatedly in different, different right. moments. How do you know how much of that is, you know, kind of your, just stuff that you, you filled your brain with that's coming back to like, a feedback loop, or right. how much, like it's, I don't feel like any vision is, is objective, it's all subjective, so how yeah. do you know kind of which one's to run with, but oh wait, you know, I need to right. answer my question? I think so. So the thing is, is that ultimately, if you see the Balsham Tov dancing in, in a, you know, in a, you know, a world of fire, it doesn't matter if it's actually him or not. You know, it says, the Balsham Tov famously said, you are where your thoughts are. The fact that you're even thinking of the Balsham Tov in a world of fire at that moment is, is a wonderful, you know, sort of like manifestation of, of how spiritual you are at that moment. It's a beautiful thing either way, you know? So I, I've sort of taken to, like, at moments when I, when I say, when I want to decide, like, how, how good did I just do? Like, if I'm having a conversation with myself and I'm like, how good did I just do? Like, you know, pick a, pick a you know, an example of what activity I'm discussing with myself. And then... More often than not, I say to myself, you know what? Let God decide. <laughs> you know, because he's going to decide anyway, so it really doesn't matter what you think. I mean, it's important to take pleasure from your actions and to positively validate yourself. You have to take strength. But it doesn't have to be for that. Just say, okay, it's, a good, it's, it's good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned the 12 stones and the other 12 things yeah. because it's also 12 steps. Yes, and, interesting, uh, yeah. 
I'm a part of that world. Yeah. And I'm at step two, which is the came to believe. So along the lines of what you're saying, I have come to believe that the aligning with God, aligning my will with God's will is the key to my salvation. But I'm not at the point where it's more than conceptual. Yeah. Me. So now I don't want to put the entire. Onus but by the way, it may never be. It may never get more than conceptual. It may never. Um. Okay. Well, that that sort of puts the kibosh on my next question. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't. I don't see how. Yeah. I don't. I don't see how it can be effective if, if it never goes beyond conceptual, because the whole point yeah. is to truly. Do it. I agree. Do it. I agree. So, but you can just. I. I just want to caution against. There's. There's a strain of um, people who feel as though I can't make the next move unless I'm sure of it. And 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 I'm not saying this is what you're talking no, about right now. I'm on my. I'm on my own. My own uh, topic right now. And I heard Rabbi Green say very beautifully that if if a person will only do whatever it is, fill in the blank. When they're 100% sure, no one would ever do anything. <laughs> and, and I just think that it's an unrealistic standard and almost even on some, some aspect of foolish standard to hold ourselves to, to say that I have to 100% know that this is, you know, the truth or whatever it is. Because, you know, at a certain point, we're all picking a path anyway. And we're all voting with our feet anyway. And so, you know, so, so, so what's the alternative? The alternative is that I, I succeeded. This is my great success. I got through life never having committed to anything that I wasn't 100% sure of. But does that mean that you were sure of the life that you led? No, I just never committed to anything that I wasn't sure of. But are you sure that the life that you led was the life that you wanted to lead? No. So then, you you didn't you have nothing then at that point. I mean, sure you have isolated moments, and and no one leaves this world without mitzvahs and everything like that. But there's a certain greatness to leaving the world with with something, as opposed to I succeeded in never committing to anything. Like, I I guess that's an accomplishment. I guess it is, but I'm not positive. How great an accomplishment that is! Right, but, but that's yeah. as you pointed out. Yeah. That's not at all where I was going. That's fine. I, that's fine. That's fine. I wasn't trying to read your mind. Well, no, but I, I, yeah. I still want yeah. to ask the question sure. I was going yeah. to ask, which was: it, it's not a matter of am I deciding or not deciding. Right. It's that I, right. I, right. It's that I don't. I don't know what doing it is. I don't. I, I don't know the action. The, well, I'm telling you, the mitzvot, the mitzvot are okay. what doing it is. Okay. That's that's called doing. There you go. It is. I'm being very no, serious. I'm not, and I'm not trying to be glib or short. I know. I believe you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah.